0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, October 28th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Hip, hip, hooray! The recession is over! Oh wait, there never was a recession. So yay, there's not going to be a recession. Or is the recession here? Or are we still in a recession? I don't know. It's all so confusing. But I'm going to go with we're still in a recession because, heck, if they can say that two straight quarters of negative GDP growth isn't a recession, I can certainly say that one quarter of rebounding GDP isn't the end of a recession, right? I mean, if we can just make this up as we go along. But in all seriousness, the GDP data for Q3 that came out yesterday wasn't good news Despite the headline number that you're seeing. As with most data, especially government generated data, it's important to look beyond the headline numbers and the things you hear, the talking heads chattering about. So GDP in Q3 grew 2.6% on an annualized basis. That sounds pretty good. And it actually beat the 2.4% projection. But when you realize what caused the growth, and I'm using air quotes around the word growth, it turns out it was primarily driven by exports. In fact, exports were up 14% in the third quarter. Now, here's the thing. It's not that the U.S. suddenly started shipping out a whole bunch more stuff. It was primarily a function of dollar strength. A strong dollar makes U.S. goods more expensive, so your growth is almost completely the result of an overblown dollar. Now, this is not just Mike doing his normal doom and gloom thing, although... I guess I am, but even Reuters reported on GDP and conceded that the data suggested, quote, the U.S. economy's underlying strength is shaky. Another internal in the data that doesn't bode well is the fact that growth in consumer spending plummeted, and consumer spending, of course, makes up about two-thirds of U.S. economic activity. Consumer spending dipped from 2% in Q2, which, remember, had negative overall growth, to 1.4% last quarter. One mainstream analyst summed it up this way, the 2.6% annualized rebound in third quarter GDP looks impressive, but it was entirely due to a 2.7% boost from net external trade. Final sales to domestic purchasers, a better measure of underlying economic demand, increased by only 0.1% annualized. That's the worst showing since the second quarter of 2020 when the pandemic struck. So, this GDP report isn't something to hang your hat on. And I've already seen several mainstream commentators talking about a return to negative growth in the final quarter. Keep in mind, the mainstream narrative is that we're not in a recession yet, but one is probably coming. But they insist that it's going to be short and shallow. It won't be. There was some other negative economic news out this week that kind of reinforces the fact that this GDP. numbers, kind of a Trojan horse. Uh, bad earnings reports that we got uh, this past week, particularly Amazon. Uh, that was bad. Then we got the PMI data for October, which I think really is a better indicator of actual business activity than GDP. The S&P Global Composite Flash PMI Output Index fell to 473 In October, that was down from a reading of 49.5 in September and was lower than expectations. Keep in mind, a reading below 50 in this scale indicates economic contraction in the private sector, in other words, recession. According to S&P Global, it was the second fastest rate of of decrease since 2009, with the exception of the initial pandemic period. The U.S. manufacturing PMI dropped into contraction territory with a reading of 49.9. That was a 28-month low. And the U.S. uh, services business activity index tanked even worse, falling to 46.6. That was down from 49.3 in September. Uh, This signals, quote, an acceleration in the decline in business activity to the second fastest fall in almost two and a half years. And Keep in mind, the service sector is by far the largest part of the U.S. economy, but now we have both manufacturing and services in contraction territory. Chiff Williamson, he's the chief business economist over at S&P Global Market. Um, He said the U.S. economic downturn gathered significant momentum in October, while confidence in the outlook also deteriorated sharply. He also warned that the PMI data signals a fourth quarter contraction, even if we see predicted GDP rebound in Q3. And of course, this was before the GDP data actually came out. Quote, The surveys therefore present a picture of the economy at increased risk of contracting in the fourth quarter at the same time that inflationary pressures remain stubbornly high. That's a fancy way of saying stagflation. Then we have uh, capital goods. New orders for U.S.-made capital goods unexpectedly fell in September. This is from a Commerce Department report. Orders for non-defense capital goods. This excludes aircraft. It dropped 0.7% 0.7% during the month. Uh, the forecast was for core capital good orders to rise by 0.5%, so a huge miss. Um, this data is generally considered a reflection of future business spending plans. So if you know they're spending a lot of money on capital, that indicates that they're going to spend a lot on products, etc. down the road. So in other words, this data point is also less than ideal. So here's the question. What does this mean for the Fed? Well, it's not good, because what all of this is telling you is that the central bank is hiking rates into a recession. And obviously, typically, you would have a central bank loosening monetary policy into a recession. So weird things going on out there. So this brings us to economist Noriel Robini. Now, he isn't necessarily somebody you would expect me to bring up. Robini is the professor emeritus at the Stern School of Business, New York University, so mainstream dude. Uh, he's described as a neo-Keynesian, and he served in the Clinton administration. So, you know, not exactly your typical free market economist that I would normally follow and quote. But give credit where credit is due. This guy predicted the housing bubble would pop in 2006 when pretty much everybody in the mainstream was saying the housing market was just fine. So you can put him in the same category in terms of predicting the 08 crash, uh, along with Peter Schiff and Ron Paul. Um, and now he sounds a lot like me in predicting that the fed is going to wimp out in the inflation fight. So, uh, He did an interview on Bloomberg Markets and Finance this week, and he warned that we are heading for big problems. In fact, when asked if we are heading for another 08-style crisis, he answered with an emphatic yes. Quote, in addition to economic, monetary, and financial risks, and there are new ones now, we're going towards stagflation like we've never seen since the 70s. Um, I'm gonna link to this entire interview in the show notes where you can watch the video. I'll warn you he's a little hard to understand because I think he's I think he's probably Indian and also you're gonna have to wade through some climate change alarmism, which is kind of annoying. But when it comes to the economics of the Fed, I think this dude's right on target and I really want to highlight this because He's not Peter Schiff. He's not me. He's not some libertarian. This is a mainstream economist who is seeing the same things boiling up that I've been talking about for months. Now, Rubini kept coming back to the massive amount of debt in the global economy. Debt to GDP has gone from 200% to 350% globally. That's a lot of freaking debt. In the U.S., the debt to GDP... uh, The GDP... say that twice, the debt to GDP ratio is higher than after the Great Depression and World War II. Of course, we haven't had a Great Depression nor a World War. So again, this shows you how unprecedentedly high debt has risen. So After the 2008 crisis and then the pandemic, everybody basically got bailed out with artificially low interest rates and quantitative easing. That's been the Fed reaction. The economy tanks, we all get a bailout, they slash rates, they do QE, they blow air back into the bubble. But, quote, This time around is different because we have so much debt and central banks like the Fed have to increase interest rates to fight inflation so that zombie institutions are going to go bankrupt. That's why not only are we going to have inflation and stagflation, but we'll have a stagflationary debt crisis. End quote. And Rubini doesn't think the Fed has the stomach to follow through with the inflation fight when the economy really starts to tank. Listen to what he said. This could come straight out of like one of my past podcasts or Peter's podcast. Quote Right now, all central banks are talking tough playing tough, and acting tough. Hawkish. Because they have a problem of credibility. But in my view, there are two problems. One problem is if they try to get to 2% inflation, they cause a recession. And this recession is not going to be short and shallow. It's not going to be garden variety. It's not going to be plain vanilla. It's not going to be two quarters of negative growth and then inflation collapses and they can ease again. It's going to be a severe recession because of the debt ratio. Because we're going into fiscal and monetary tight. And at the same time, not only do we have an economic crash, you're going to also have a fiscal crash. Robini also warned of an impending dollar crash. Quote, once the Fed is going to essentially prevent an economic and financial crash, or try to prevent it by stopping raising rates, even though inflation is too high, then the dollar is going to start to sharply weaken. That is going to be the trigger for it, because what is raising the dollar right now is tight monetary policy. And I have to add that one of the things that Robini says people should do to protect themselves is buy gold. He said if the central banks are going to blink and wimp out, gold is going to rise in value. Quick side note, I misspoke. Robini is not Indian. He was born in Turkey and lived in Iran. So correction there. But anyway, he's right, because the dynamics in both the gold and silver markets right now are totally driven by dollar strength. You know, when the markets anticipate that the Fed is going to keep tightening, gold falls. And when the Fed thinks that it might pivot, gold rallies. When it thinks the dollar is going to keep strengthening, gold tanks. Nobody, at least not the institutional investors, actually is paying attention to inflation, you know, you would think with inflation up up up, people would be buying gold. People are buying gold, just not the big institutional investors. Um, so this whole Fed policy and this whole uh, this monetary tightening has created a dollar bubble. And if that pops, well, there's nothing holding back gold and silver. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that I talked about this at length uh, about the strong demand in the physical gold market. You know, people right now want physical gold and physical silver, but the institutional investors are dumping paper gold and paper silver. So you're seeing this big exodus of gold from the ETFs and this institutional gold. Um, One analyst I read put it this way, quote, "...we can probably all agree that the gold market would be higher, but it all came back to this persistent dollar strength, which effectively masked a higher gold price." So really, the gold market is attached at the hip with the Fed right now. As long as people think the Fed is going to stay in the inflation fight, that they're going to keep tightening monetary policy, that interest rates are going to keep going up, they're going to keep dumping gold. That's just how it is right now. Meanwhile, smart people out there are gobbling up both physical gold and silver. You can really see this in the shrinking amount of metal in the comics vaults, particularly silver. I'm going to link to an article uh, with the latest comics data in the show notes, but you you want to check that out, because this kind of tells you the underlying thing that's going on in the precious metals markets that... People don't really notice, and that's this huge demand for physical metal, this exodus from the comics vaults. This is kind of the trend, and I think eventually you're going to see this percolate up into the broader market. So, uh, next little piece of interesting thing. On his podcast this week, Peter said he thinks that the Fed has already done a soft pivot. Now, I'm not going to go into like a whole lot of depth on this because I don't want to just rehash what Peter said. Um, I'm going to link to his episode on the show notes page and you can either listen to it or you can read my summary. But basically, there are signs that the Fed is making uh, a pivot in rhetoric. So that's why I'm saying soft pivot. They're not actually getting ready to cut rates. They're still almost certainly going to do 75 basis points at the next meeting. But what they're doing You know, a lot of what the Fed does is what I call open mouth operations, right? The central bankers talk and markets respond. So with their blah, 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 they can actually do monetary policy without actually doing monetary policy, at least to some degree. Uh, but, you know, of course, it has limits, but it definitely signals what's coming. So Peter Schiff said that he thinks the Fed is about to start walking back the tough talk. It's going to start telling us there are signs that inflation is cooling and, and that they'll be able to, sh- to slow down the rate hikes. And, you know, they'll start telling you, oh, we're making great progress. So why pivot now or even a soft pivot? Why would the Fed back off at this point? Because obviously the last CPI data that we got, not so great. Well, last Thursday, the bond market looked close to a complete collapse. That morning, the yield on the 30-year Treasury nearly rose to 4.4%. So that's the long end of the of the bond market. Meanwhile, the curve between the 10-year and the 30-year moved positive out of inversion. So we've had an inverted yield curve between the 10-year and the 30-year, which was kind of saying, well, we think there's going to be high inflation for a while, but in the long term, they're going to get it back to 2%, and they're going to win. The fact that this Uninverted is a sign that investors are starting to price in prolonged inflation. They're starting to say, you know, maybe the Fed's not going to win this fight. Meanwhile, the stock market was also under pressure last week due to the weakness in the bond market. So we were seeing, you know, another big drop in stocks. Now. Keep in mind, significantly higher interest rates over any long period of time is untenable with debt as high as it is. I mean, that's what Robini's talking about. The U.S. government just ran a $1.3 trillion deficit in fiscal 2022. All of that debt has to be financed, right? And they're not slowing down the spending. It's not like, you know, we're going to have this great uh, fiscal responsibility begin in 2023. Ain't going to happen. So. You know, I've talked about these dynamics before. It's exactly what Robini was talking about. So this carnage in the bond market was a sign that things were about to break in the financial system, in the bond market, in a bad way. And all of a sudden, you get an article from the Wall Street Journal reporting that some Fed members were expressing, quote, unease and were concerned about over-tightening. The story even reported that San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said, quote, "The time is now to start planning for stepping down." Now, remember, Daly just like 2 months ago, she was all, "Whoa, we're we're in this fight forever and yeah, uh, we got to get inflation under control and blah blah." So, we've already seen Mary, she's already starting to get a little little bit of cold feet here. So, you know, we'll really get a sense of what they're thinking at the next Fed meeting um, and and kind of the the messaging that comes out of that. But if this really is the beginning of a pivot, or even a soft pivot, things could start moving fast. But as I've said, I I think it's already too late to save the tanking economy. We've talked about all of the economic data points. Interest rates are already too high for this bubble economy. Um, I think once we got to 2%, they were too high. But It takes a while for all of this to percolate through the system. Things lag. I still think something big is going to break in uh, either the US or the global financial market here in in the near future. And that's going to turn any soft pivot, I think, into a hard pivot. So, at the risk of running long, I want to touch on one other subject quickly before I go. Have you seen the reports about a diesel fuel shortage? now i'd seen some headlines but i had honestly hadn't really paid a lot of attention a friend of mine brought this up to me last night and said look dude you need to talk about this and so i did a little bit of reading and and there are mainstream stories out there about it but i'm not hearing a lot of chatter or talk you know it's not something i'm seeing a lot on twitter or social media doesn't seem to be something that really has people's attention but ladies and gentlemen this is a big deal Stocks of diesel fuel and other distillate fuel oils were just 106 million barrels as of October 21st. That's the lowest for this time of year since the U.S. Energy Information Administration, didn't know that was the thing, started collecting weekly data in 1982. So, as far as record keeping goes, we've never had a lower inventory of diesel fuel and distillate oil ever. A Goldman Sachs report said, quote, under in the nation's fuel making capacity exacerbated by refinery closures and disruptions is leading to a shortage of refined products, especially diesel, whose stocks are at unprecedentedly low levels. So what do we mean by unprecedentedly low levels? Well, currently, the United States only has 25 days of diesel supply in reserve. Now, of course, you know, it doesn't take a, a PhD in economics to understand that rising fuel prices will reverberate through the economy. Keep in mind, this is not inflation, right? Inflation is an increase in the money supply, and prices rise when the money supply increases. But what we're talking about here is rising prices due to a supply shock. It's different than inflationary price rises. Ostensibly, other prices should fall to bring things into an equilibrium. If people have to pay more for diesel fuel and and other things, then they're going to have to cut spending somewhere else. So it's not inflationary. When you have inflationary price increases, that reverberate that's that's the entire economy but regardless these kind of price shocks still show up in CPI and it still has the same impact on your pocketbook and that's really the bottom line and of course fuel prices have a wide ranging impact on the price of consumer goods because you know you need energy to make things right you need energy to ship things the world runs on diesel trucks trains planes to some degree it's not diesel but uh, jet fuel you can't stick a windmill on a semi-truck and make it go. You know, trains don't run on solar panels. And this brings me to the broader point. This green energy push is bullshit. Excuse my language, but it is. Now, I've got solar panels on my house, so I have a pretty good understanding of the potential for green energy. I'll just tell you this, my solar panels don't nearly account for all of the energy, all of the electricity that we use. Now, I'm all for it as far as it's practical, but this notion that we can just get rid of fossil fuels is a freaking fantasy. And we're about to learn that the hard way. There are going to be a lot of cold people this winter, and you're gonna see a lot of shortages that are gonna cascade throughout the economy due to a lack of fuel this is on purpose. This is what makes me angry about this. This policy is on purpose. They've intentionally made it difficult to build refineries, to pump fossil fuels so dig fossil fuels out of the ground because they want to go to a green energy the powers that be want us to use windmills and solar panels and alternative energy sources and that's fine and dandy except it won't work because there's not enough energy capacity in those things to make it work we need fossil fuels we need oil we need coal we need natural gas no matter what you might think about climate change The solutions that are being proposed and literally rammed down our throats by governments across the globe, this is not a recipe for human flourishing. It is a recipe for human suffering. I mean people literally freezing and starving to death. Now, probably not going to see that here in the U.S. or in Europe. We have the wealth and technology to handle a reduction in energy use, at least for a while. For the developed world, we're talking about a drastic decrease in our standard of living. Now, to me, that's not okay, but maybe not life and death, but it's still going to make our lives worse. It's not going to make our lives better. Now, people will argue, well, we got to fix the climate because in the long run, if we don't, then then we're all going to die. First off, this bullshit because we've got the technology and the ability to cope with the changing climate. We can deal with the things that will happen with the changing climate, even if you believe the worst-case scenarios, I think human beings have the ability to weather that storm. We don't have the ability to exist without energy. People are going to die. For us, yes, a standard of living decrease. But for people in developing countries, we're talking life and death. They don't have the ability to survive without fuel and energy. They can't produce food. They're going to starve to death. They can't deal with the, the, the cold. They're going to freeze to death. And I'll be honest, I don't think the policymakers give a damn. If people in Asia and Africa have to die for their green dream, so be it. And as far as you and I go, well, we need to lower our standard of living, you know? I mean, we're just living too high on the hog. Now, the people making these decisions, the people in government, all of these talking heads, they're going to be just fine. They're going to have all the food and heat they need because, well, they're important. And they're still going to fly around in their jets and they're still going to winter in their winter homes. This stuff makes me so angry because they wrap it up all in this concern and moral platitudes when they literally don't care if regular people die. So when you hear these people tell you, you don't care about the environment, you don't care about people, you need to look them in the eye and tell them they don't give a, You know what about human life? Because that's what we're talking about here. We need energy and the only way to get the energy we need is through fossil fuels. And I agree we need to find alternatives, but you can't force the market to create alternatives. We're not ready for it. We're about to learn that lesson. This diesel shortage is going to teach a very hard lesson. I don't think the powers that be will learn it because they don't learn because they don't care. But we're going to learn it, and we're going to learn it the hard way. So, again, long today. I'm just going to close by calming down. And saying, "Remember what Robini said. You might want to consider getting some gold before the dollar starts to tank, and that could be any time. It could be down the road away. I don't know, but I highly recommend talking to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You can call one eight 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 gold one sixty, or you can email info at shiftgold.com, or." You can just go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and you can talk to a precious metal specialist in chat right there online. Um, Talk to them about your investment goals, your portfolio, what you're looking to do, and they will help you figure out how precious metals might fit into your investment strategy. So do that again today. And with that, it is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the stuff that I've talked about and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. That's also where you'll find the show notes page. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to this show. We're on all the major podcasting platforms, um, Apple Podcast, Google, uh, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, links to all that stuff also on the show notes page you can email me at mmeharry m-m-a-h-a-r-r-e-y at Shiftcult.com. Uh, you can do that love to hear from folks uh, got a couple of really good questions uh, in the email box this week so feel free to shoot me a note and again that is a wrap for this week i hope you have a fantastic weekend and i'll talk to y'all next friday